probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com, SpinalTapMinute.com, and CabinMinuteCast.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, Spinal Tap Minute really rolls off the tongue, and Cabin Minute Cast is a little harder to get out. So, <laughs> Still working on that one. <laughs> good practice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we are talking about Minute 54 of The Thing, which begins with um, Childs telling Mac that he got most of the chopper in the tractor, and uh, ends a minute later with Blair getting uh, taken down by the crew as their ingenious plan works to uh, to, to take him down as he goes crazy. So <laughs> this is a this is a minute that is uh, is ripe with with funny stuff and interesting stuff and uh, and some some theories that I was thinking about watching it. So there's lots to lots to get into here. But we mentioned yesterday about Keith David's uh, injured hand and the opening couple seconds of this minute are where it's really obvious if you know that um he as he's kind of hanging behind mccready and you see uh he's his left hand is kind of on uh kurt russell's shoulder his mm-hmm. hand looks ridiculous and i think <laughs> i think i read what they did is they put a glove over his cast and then just painted it to look like his skin color but oh, it, yeah. it looks like his hand <laughs> is like stung by a bunch of bees or something like it looks huge <laughs> Stung by bees. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely pretty funny. That's one of those things that I never would have noticed, you know, just watching the movie. But now I'll never be able to forget that. Every time I see the scene, I'm going to be laughing at Keith David's, like, gigantic hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he gets back and says that he, he wrecked, uh, that he did get most of the chopper and the tractor, which I teased a little bit earlier this week when we were trying to figure out who was, who was in the... Uh, the ski dozer earlier. And this is a thing that I never noticed before, but I feel like might have some, some pretty big consequences for the end of the movie. And that's that, uh, we didn't see Blair messing with the tractor. So the last time we saw the, the tractor, you know, somebody was using it to cover up that hole with the snow in, uh, right. in the first minute from this week. And we know that wasn't Blair, uh, that was in there because Fuchs walks by him, walks by whoever that person was, and then goes and tells Mac that they can't find Blair. So, in between, you know, just a few seconds after that, um, McCready sees Blair, you know, messing with the chopper. So at some point in between those those moments is when the tractor gets wrecked. And the only person to be in there since then is Childs, who, you know, runs outside to check it. Mm. Which makes me wonder if when he went outside to check it, he's the one who trashed it himself. Um, mm. Which knowing how this movie ends, you know, might be a might be a little bit of a hint towards whether uh, whether Childs is or isn't who he says he is. <laughs> gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, and it's something that I, I I was very set on, and now I'm look I'm 
thinking about it and looking at some of the other stuff in the movie, and I'm wondering if there are actually two two vehicles, and maybe I'm, I'm mistaking the ski dozer for the tractor. Maybe there's two of those, uh, something like that. But otherwise, I, I feel like that's a pretty interesting uh, little tidbit there that might might shed some suspicion on uh, on Childs that later comes to fruition. Right. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I guess it's one of those movies where once you've seen it the first time, then kind of like the usual suspects where, you know, once you've seen it once, you're never really going to experience it the same because, yeah. you know, all the reveals. So it's kind of hard to rewatch it and have that like who's who, what's what, who's been turned, who hasn't been and all that stuff. So. It's. It, I noticed when I was watching it today that I was thinking, "Oh, I'm not all caught up in who's, who's what." Like that suspense is kind of gone for me now. Yeah, yeah. I've mentioned it before that this is, you know, if you know, if I have a list of movies that I'd want to see again for the first time, this would probably be pretty high up on that list because I, I wish I could remember exactly how I felt the first time I saw like you know, the dog scene or the scene, you know, with the, where Norris's stomach opens up, like those, those things are so surprising and, and shocking and, uh, and just so bizarre that I can't, it's hard to even wrap my head around what that's like to see that for the first time again, just not knowing that that's about to happen because they're so imaginative and terrifying and weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. You get to now sort of experience it more as like, um, viewing, Oh, what, what, um, little hints are there here that are maybe showing me what, like you said, Hmm, okay. He just ran out to check. So he's by himself. So what mm -hmm. does that mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch this movie, uh, you know, especially watching it this closely without kind of starting to put those kind of theories together, even if they fall apart pretty quickly. It's, uh, some of the theories we've made in the show earlier fall apart pretty quickly later, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's fun, fun to kind of play around with those ideas sometimes, but so we do, uh, once we get back from, once Childs gets back and lets Mac know about that, the next thing is that we see, uh, they, uh, he also lets Clark know that Blair has killed the rest of the dogs. So uh, if you are a dog lover and you've somehow made it this far into the movie without uh, running out of the theater, this, this definitely has to, uh, has to, you know, uh, cinch the deal. <laughs> but yeah. Now it's not just the, the monster dogs that have been killed. Now Blair's gone and, and killed the innocent, uh, innocent dogs as well, which is, is pretty, pretty uh, heartbreaking for, for dog lovers. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I, I, I could, t I mean, I've always been a dog lover, but I could tell rewatching this, I was a little more sensitive to the, the dogs and the, you know, the opening scene and what happens to them is pretty gruesome and sad. I was glad it didn't last for too long. Yeah. Well, I guess it works both ways as a, as a dog lover watching this movie, because, you know, on one hand, obviously, of course, there are scenes like, like that, that are very kind of traumatizing for somebody who has a dog and, and you know, his own dogs, but uh, at the beginning of the movie, it definitely sets you up uh, to be right alongside the rest of the guys at the camp and that they they are kind of defending the dog from from the crazy Norwegian and the dog is not under any kind of suspicion from them for a while. Uh, so you kind of can fall for it a little bit. <laughs> totally, totally. So, yeah, Clark runs off to, to go check on the dogs and then uh, they send Childs, Max sends Childs to go through the map room, which is uh, adjacent to the uh, to the radio room to try and talk to Blair. So. Childs goes in there, and that's when we get some of the best the best Blair lines in the movie uh, from from his crazy ranting, where he talks about um, 
that, you know, it, it didn't want to be a dog. No dog's going to make it a thousand miles across the ice. Uh, it wanted to be us. That's <laughs> 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 one of my favorite Wilford Brimley lines in this movie. It's kind of awesome because it's so like looking at the script, like most of these lines are pretty untouched. There's, there's a couple things that they took out just to kind of, you know, clean it up a little bit, but it's so clear to me now watching it that he's just like, he like took that written word and then just finds whatever place he can to scream words. <laughs> and it's very, very entertaining. It's really fun to watch it like that. And just listen, just watch Wilford Brimley have a, have a good time with it. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, some of the stuff that he, he also says, uh, one cell, if one cell gets out, it can imitate everything on the face of the earth. And then of course, my personal favorite, uh, where right after Childs comes in and, and again, uh, Keith David is, you know, peeking through that doorway and hiding his left arm yet again. And he's he's trying to kind of calm down Blair. And then Blair shoots at him and does my absolute favorite, the I'll kill you. Which <laughs> 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 is just awesome. It's when Blair turns from like a respected biologist to like, you know, a redneck cowboy or something in, in the span of three words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it kind of made me wonder, like, if he's having this freak out, why is he not just killing everybody? Like if he, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a perfect transition to talk about what Blair is actually doing here. So I guess there's kind of two major schools of thought on it, I guess, um, you know, if you want to dive into it that much that, you know, when I always watch this movie, I just assume that Blair is wrecking the radio room and the chopper because for the good of mankind, he's trying to keep the the thing from making its way off of out of Outpost 31 and off Antarctica to take over the world. So he's actually, you know, he's uh he seems like he's losing his mind, but that's only to the rest of them because he's doing what, you know, the absolute last last ditch effort of what he thinks has to be done. But looking at the original novella, who goes there and and according to John Carpenter, this is kind of what they were going for, that he's kind of making a show of it because he wants to be he wants to be isolated from the rest of them and, and locked away somewhere where he can, you know, uh, start building his little UFO that we see later in the movie. So. I have a lot of problems with that, even though that's that's kind of, you know, author's intent that that's what Carpenter intended. I, I this seems very weird to me. There's like either way, th- there seem to be some major inconsistencies, like, you know, if he is trying to protect them uh, or, you know, pr- protect the rest of mankind from getting infected, like you said, why is he not just killing everybody on the base? Um you know, when he sees that computer simulation and grabs his gun, I think that's kind of what you're meant to think he's about to start doing, that he's going to start hunting them down. You know, especially being that this is a John Carpenter movie, you might suspect it's going to turn a little bit into a slasher that he may start hunting them down one by one in the dark. And yeah, if it's the other way, then, you know, why is he bothering to to do this? And he, you know, seems like a, uh, a pretty drastic way to have to get yourself isolated. He could have just, uh, you know, cracked up in a less dramatic way, probably. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, his ramblings to me always make me think that he is trying to do the right thing and that maybe he's just uh, going going about it a little. He's a little overzealous about it. Maybe he's just a little excited that he gets to save mankind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's certainly uh, it's certainly entertaining to see him kind of go to town here, as, as John Carpenter said. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's because there's so many people left alive so far Mm -hmm. i think it yeah it's really interesting shift in tone compared to where you think it might be at this point in the movie and how like you said in an earlier minute at least most people 
in, uh, you know, on the team kind of feel like, oh, we're at a good point here. We just mm-hmm. got everything that's been touched or infected or however you want to put it under, you know, burnt and then under snow. So we're, we're good. So he is like in stark contrast to that with this, his, his ramblings. Yeah, definitely. And it, it does like, if you're watching this for the first time, this scene really does feel like a, a big turn in the movie. And that, like you said, you think that maybe the, the alien is not a threat anymore and that maybe Blair is about to become the villain of this movie, which is kind of an interesting thought, but yeah, obviously where it goes is a little different, but it is kind of strange to think that that's that does, is where it seems like it's going, which is weird. And the scene kind of stands apart as being kind of a weird in between always to me that it's, you know, it's after the we see the first kind of human assimilation take place and the first person on the base gets killed. But before anything, before they really start getting paranoid about who each other are and everything. So it's almost like Blair's issuing a warning to them in some way and that they're about to find out why. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to hide this podcast when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. We have no way of reaching the listeners to tell them to support the show by using the donate button at thethingminute.com while we're stuck here in this storm. If only they knew. (sighs) There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. Harper, out. So I mentioned yesterday that we've been keeping track of uh, the gunshots in the movie. And this scene has five gunshots, which um, is notable mostly because uh, it means that Blair shot off seven shots from his six bullet revolver, which, uh, you know, might just be one of those kind of movie goofs. But it was actually interesting that um, I read about it. Uh, David Udall, who is a sound supervisor that we've brought up a couple times on the show, uh, he wrote a one of the major textbooks for... um, for movie sound, one that I actually mm. bought, you know, b- way before I was like a, a, a you know obsessive fan of this movie. Didn't really know know much about him, but uh, it was a book that was assigned to me back in college. So I, I you know read it before, but um, he talks about how he came in and and the guy who did the foley had put in the gunshots and he was like and he called him out that there were actually eight gunshots originally and the guy was like no there's not like i you know i did it i know i did it right and so they 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 all sat through and watched the cut and noticed how many there were and the way it was edited they could only get rid of one of those eight gunshots they couldn't get mm. rid of the uh the seventh so when i mentioned earlier that that very first gunshot that alerts mccready i think they had to leave that one in because it alerted him to uh to what's going on and then they had shot mccready getting shot at so they had to leave that one in and then the rest are are all on camera here there were none of the other ones they could kind of you know fake their way out of so you know we're left with seven gunshots for a six six uh bullet gun (laughs) yeah that's one of those things i don't really notice and i think um again with my husband like he has um gone to shooting ranges and this kind of one of those things he always notices but is, you know, gun safety or realistic gun use, you know, in movies and things. He's one of those, oh, wait a minute, kind of people, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that way, you know. <laughs> Whereas I just kind of bounce along and don't really notice. But also means that he perks up when um, TV shows or movies are really, really realistic and stuff and always kind of gives them props for making it something that's real. Whereas being a... um 
former uh, coffee house manager, I'm the one that's always like, there's nothing in that paper cup those guys are holding it at right now. <laughs> it's like I know the weight of a paper cup. So, you know, that would have a 12 ounce, <laughs> 10 ounces of coffee in a 12 ounce cup so much that I'm distracted by the, you know, the light the lightweight cup that people are supposed to be drinking their coffee out of. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I, I think that's true that everybody kind of brings that that one like really unique and, and totally in most movies, totally inconsequential little bit of, of knowledge to uh, to everything they watch. It's, it is kind of funny. There's probably like there's probably somebody watching this minute who like manufactures, you know, folding tables and they're like, wow, oh, that axe would have gone right through that table. That's total nonsense. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is like everybody has their own little little thing that they, uh, you know, obsessively can't can't help but uh, watch for when they're watching movies, I guess. <laughs> Because, yeah, I'm with you. I would have never noticed that there were seven gunshots for that gun. <laughs> it's not something I would have noticed casually. I did, I did want to note that uh, in this, I mentioned earlier there were some lines taken out of the out from the script that are not in, uh, in the finished product. Blair adds when he's talking about that uh, in the script, when he's talking about that uh, no dog could make it across the ice, he also mentions uh, he gets really specific, I guess, to justify why the thing doesn't just take over some other animal. He talks about, he says, there's no penguins this far inland and there's no, um, I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it, but uh, squa, S-K-U-A, gulls, which are like some kind of, uh, it's a bird, one of the few birds that lives in Antarctica. Mm. He's like, there's no squaw gulls this time of year. <laughs> like, and I, I, <laughs> I would guess that maybe they try those lines and they just didn't quite roll off the tongue of, of a madman as some of these right. other lines do. <laughs> it seems a little too specific, maybe. And the only other kind of big difference in the script, um, most this week is actually interesting in that leading up to this week, there have been a lot of like major departures from the script where, where Carpenter kind of made a lot of big changes last minute. But this is this week is actually pretty closely follows the original script, except uh, in this scene, the only difference really, aside from those lines, is that um, uh, before they rush into the room, McCready has Norris um, pull the fuse so that it cuts all the lights, which mm. I would guess Carpenter was like, well, you know, if we cut the lights, then we can't really see this action happening. So that really doesn't make sense. <laughs> so from a visual standpoint, I, I can understand why they would change that. Yeah, I think what I'm noticing, uh, the, something I always enjoy is um, when somebody, you know, all the bullets are gone and they just throw the gun yep. like he does. <laughs> I love that. That's just something like um, I notice and wonder about things that happen in movies that just never happen for you in your real life. You <laughs> right. know, like I can imagine, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to, to drink a cup of coffee, but I don't know what it's like to shoot a gun. And then <laughs> once all the bullets are gone, just throw it. Right. But it seems like it'd be fun. You know, it is one of those kind of movie tropes where like, you kind of have to laugh or like, what, what are they thinking they're going to accomplish by throwing the empty gun? Like, like, you know, they've missed with the other six bullets, but maybe this gun will land just right and take down the person <laughs> they're shooting at. It's definitely one of those kind of cliches. And maybe in this movie, it makes a little bit more sense if you think about it from the perspective that he's not he's not really trying to kill them. He's just trying to kind of scare them away or make a make a big scene out of it. Then maybe he would just throw the gun. But yeah, it is it is kind of funny. The way he throws it too is kind of comical. But he's very everything Wilford Brimley does in this whole scene is very kind of like exaggerated and and kind of ridiculous uh, when you sit back and look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then yeah, we get one of the first kind of bigger uh, stunts in the movie, I guess, where they rush um, 
I think it's McCready and I can't remember who else behind him. I think Gary and Norris are with him. Uh, they rush in with this like folding card table and rush uh, Blair and, and he Blair crashes through it with an ax, but doesn't quite make it through enough to hurt anybody. And then they push him up against the wall. And um, I thought it was funny that in the commentary, the John Carpenter and Kurt Russell commentary, John Carpenter talks about that. If you watch, you can see Wolf after the ax gets stuck in the, table Wilford Brimley's like looking behind him trying to watch and make sure he doesn't fall on something sharp and hurt himself Mm. and to me that seems like the least thing I would be worried about filming this scene (laughs) like (laughs) him getting pushed against a wall seems way less dangerous than him actually swinging an axe through a table at these other guys like I I can't Kurt Russell didn't say anything about it in the commentary but if I was him I would have been really nervous about that axe that's getting you know hurtled right towards him holding that table. And it looks totally real. I'm not sure exactly how they did that. You know, we've talked about how they did a lot of things in this movie that were not particularly safe for the actors. So maybe it is real, but it certainly looks like it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely does. Which one is Norris? Norris is the the bigger guy with the the red hair, the red curly hair. He's wearing the the gray sweater. Yeah, the gray sweater. Okay, yeah, I think that. Okay, cool. Because the dog lover guy, he runs off. Yeah, he goes to check out what's going on with the dogs. Yeah, okay. So I think it's just Mac and Norris and Gary that kind of make the attack on uh, on Blair here. Um, But yeah, Yeah. it's certainly, uh, it makes me nervous. Every time I watch it, it makes me nervous. Like, oh, Kurt Russell's going to get an axe in his face. (laughs) It looks, it kind of makes, it's very unnerving watching it because it looks pretty dangerous. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so they they kind of take him down, and then uh, that's that's kind of where this minute ends. We'll we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow with that exactly. But um, yeah, they 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 manage to to push him up against the wall. It's just pretty smart, I guess. But you got to have a lot of faith in that uh, in the strength of that table if you're going to go at a guy that with an axe gunning for your head. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very exciting. It's it's fun. I think watching these movies minute by minute to see how each minute starts and ends, you know, like this has kind of a natural little, little break right there where we're at in the action. Yeah. It it is kind of always fun to see when those, when the edges of the minutes really line up perfectly. I've, I've I've been really enjoying listening to the alien minute uh, podcast where, and they bring it up a lot that it seems like maybe because Ridley Scott was directing commercials, 30 second and 60 second commercials before he came on to alien that, they seem to the minute marks seem to line up really perfectly in some really kind of weird coincidental ways, which is kind of funny. But yeah, it is it is kind of fun to see where those uh, where those marks lie in some of these movies. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I think that's all I've got for uh, for minute fifty four. We get, we finally reached the uh, the I kill you moment of the movie, which I'm, I'm very <laughs> very happy about. And you know what? Actually, it's worth noting that. Uh, this is basically at the halfway mark of the movie. The movie's uh, 108 minutes and some change, so we're uh, we're officially halfway through the movie with uh, with this minute, I think. So, which is pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. I'm glad to be at the halfway mark with you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So, um, I think that'll wrap up minute 54 of the thing. But one thing you can do while you wait for the next episode is to go check out moviesbyminutes.com for a whole collection of other podcasts like this one. So. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Heidi mentioned that she's got uh, Spinal Tap Minute, and and uh, I'm gonna let you say it because I, I'm gonna mess it up too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about the cabin in the woods, but what 
the you know I went to register it on Twitter first because that's kind of this you know not too many you you can't make your um your at, what is it called your at very long so yeah. <laughs> I uh, played around with a few things and settled on cabin minute cast so it's cabin minute cast for the cabin in the woods minute. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I guess I lucked out with a movie that only has two words in the title. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so in addition to the uh, to my show and those uh, and Heidi's two shows, there are a, a huge abundance of other um, uh, movies by minute uh, podcasts, including the Star Wars Minute podcast that kind of uh, you know started the format and, and started a whole empire of of us insane people who want to do this. Um, so uh, definitely check those out. If uh, if you're listening to the thing and it's not your favorite movie, then I'd be willing to bet that your favorite movie is uh, either already on there or is in development for a, uh, for a movies by minutes podcast. They're, they're getting a lot of good ones are getting claimed up pretty quick. So definitely check out movies by minutes.com to, uh, to see all the ones that are available and, and support those shows as well. But as you do that, just don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of the thing minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.